Welcome to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with host Lane Nordland. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Cattleman's Call podcast. I'm your host Lane Nordland and guess what? We're actually having a live in-person podcast conversation here today from Mayaka City, Florida at Blackbeard's Ranch with the ranch's Jim Strickland joining us here today along with Oklahoma Cattlemen and Chair of the Federation of State Beef Councils, Mr. Clay Bertram. Both of these individuals are past guests of the Cattlemen's Call podcast. And the reason that we are here in Florida is for a beef from ranch to table satellite media tour, meaning that we will be reaching over 25 TV markets across the nation, promoting beef sustainability and all the hard work that cattlemen and women put into environmental sustainability. But again, that event's tomorrow, but right now to our conversation with Clay and Jim. Uh, Jim, how are you doing here today? It rained all night, but the sun is out and it's beautiful here in the area just south of Tampa Bay. Man, we're doing great. Uh, This time of year, we've already been in our drought season about four weeks, so to get an inch and a half of rain out of this little front is a blessing if all the rancher friends out there understand droughts and and uh, in florida we do have droughts and this is our drought season so it's great and welcome to florida florida is the land of flowers so uh whenever you woke up this morning you'll see the true florida well it was beautiful and to hear that rain coming down because up in montana where i'm from it is a little droughty and we need some moisture so i sent some video this morning of that rain coming down and the sound of it on the roof so hopefully we'll bring some moisture back up to montana from here in beautiful florida and clay uh, a little bit different trip the last conversation that you and i had we actually talked about your trip down here to the beef it's what's for dinner 300 uh um how are you doing here today as we come back to the beautiful state of florida i'm great it seems like whether i'm coming or going from florida it's a uh, travel adventure so it's uh, great to be here things are green starting to green up in oklahoma not quite as much as uh, here in florida uh, but it's uh, great to see the sunshine here and appreciate uh, jim having us here on the blackbeard's ranch and uh, uh, blessed to have this opportunity to here to uh, talk about sustainability uh, and what's going on here uh, so we can be involved with the federation of state beef councils uh, very very true and uh As I mentioned in our intro here for the podcast, we are going to talk about the important role that cattlemen and women play in the topic of uh, conservation, uh, protecting our environment and and whatnot, but uh, we want to be ranchers. Uh, We've talked about the weather, but uh, Clay, uh, how's the the calving been going back there in Oklahoma? Uh, For me personally, calving's about done. Uh, We're about to wrap that up. Uh, Full season graze out going on with wheat pasture. Uh, Got uh, some sure uh, drought uh, going on in the southwest part of the state. Uh, The wheat's in full bloom for those that are going to harvest wheat, Uh, but the grass is sure coming on and looking forward to a great summer as long as we can get some moisture along the way there uh, in, uh, in, in Oklahoma. And Jim, uh, for yourself, uh, you've joined us before on this podcast. Uh, former NRCS Chief Matt Lohr and yourself joined us after you were announced as the 2019 Environmental Stewardship Award winner. Uh, you and your team here at the Blackbeards Ranch recognized for all of your hard work and innovation, environmental stewardship, and, and all that goes into making an operation work for the future. But for our listeners that are joining in here today that maybe didn't tune into that podcast, uh, 
talk about the ranch here in, in Southern Florida and uh, your your legacy here and and uh, why it's named the Blackbeard's Ranch as well. But I, I just want to learn a little more about your operation before we jump into our conversation on environmental stewardship. It's been a while, and uh, it was interesting to hear you say this is one of the first podcasts that you've been able to do and and live like this. So. We've all been through a lot the last year, so thank you for everything that NCBA and, and, and folks like Clay and y'all have done for us throughout the entire course of the year. So one more time, welcome to Florida. Uh, just to those folks that may not know where we are, Blackbeards is approximately 50 miles south of Tampa Bay, Tampa, uh, home of, uh, uh, there's a little football team, just won a championship, the Buccaneers which plays into the Blackbeard's name. We are really the state of pirates, so you can ask me later about Blackbeard, how we came, how we came to uh, be known as, as Blackbeard. It's an interesting story. I feel like uh, I need to say another thank you to, to Clay and all of you, all the folks at NCBA for, one, bestowing this ESAP award upon us. It gave us a real great platform throughout the state to be able to talk about our issues, to be able to advocate for programs, advocate for funding, uh, all those things that help us be sustainable because Clay and I both being ranchers, we're gonna talk about what sustainability means to us on our respective ranches at different parts of the state. So uh, you are in Mayaca, Florida, uh, Indian name for river. And so we have, a, of course, a great heritage here. I've been in the cattle business here in Florida, uh, family-wise, since about 1860. My uh, my folks came from Georgia, and settled in North Florida, and, and uh, I wound up down here. Well, again, we uh, the sun is poking through right now, and it, it is absolutely. I actually wish we were out there, but I don't know if this northern boy would be doing very good in this humidity here <laughs> early in the day, but. Um, you, you mentioned, of course, uh, the Environmental Stewardship Award, and uh, uh, Clay, first off, uh, th this week, while, why we are down here is a way to engage with other producers and consumers virtually, uh, talking about cattle producers' role in, in the climate conversation. Could you just give a brief overview uh, about what is going to be taking place uh, here over the next few days? Well, the Federation of State Beef Councils has invested uh, not only time, but uh, Federation dollars along with our State Beef Council partners in what sustainability is and to get that message out. We've all heard it and seen it and know what it's about, but uh, uh, through our efforts, we're really putting an emphasis on it this year, um, starting down here with, uh, with Jim and the Blackbeard's Ranch because we know how important it is to them. But as we all look at our own ranches and our own lifestyles, we have to put that emphasis on what it is and what we're doing every day on our ranches, whether that's from a rotational grazing to letting pastures rest. We've been doing it for many, many years, but as today, it becomes more of a focus of what we do in each each day in our, our, our ranches and what footprint that that might leave. Um, because if we don't do it, somebody's going to make us do it. Um, but as we look at our ranches, we've been doing it for many, many years, many decades. In fact, hundreds of years it's been done. Um, but uh, now as we look at the administrations and different people, uh, it's becoming more of an emphasis. So, Jim, for yourself, obviously you have a very dense population around your ranch a, a, an opportunity well some may not see it as an opportunity but you do in engaging with consumers and people that don't understand livestock production but for yourself 
how important is it for the beef industry to maybe fight uh, to correct any misinformation about cattle and their impact on the environment? I know when when I come to Florida or you hear people, you always hear algae blooms, you always hear about the Everglades, and, and agriculture seems to always have a target on their back with that. So as a producer yourself, how important is it to just present the correct information and share the true story and for yourself sharing that to people that come here boots on the ground you know that's uh true throughout the united states not just florida but florida happens to be one of those states that's got a high growth rate we approximately have a thousand new residents every day so they're coming to florida low interest rates everybody's moving because of covid we've seen that but whenever you, every 24 hours, every time you wake up, there's another thousand new residents in Florida. It gives you a great opportunity, but it also has a lot of, uh, I won't, I won't so much call it fight, but I would call, uh, I would call it education and, and educating, educating those folks that we can deal with in the state of Florida. We have a lot of congressmen. Because of our 22 million people, we have a lot of congressmen and women in Washington. We have, of course, our two state senators, uh, that excuse me, two uh, national senators. And so we have a great opportunity, not only just our local population, whether it's Tampa or Naples, which are right on the Gulf Coast. We're only about 30 miles from the Gulf, from the Gulf Coast. It gives us a great opportunity here, and especially the platform that uh, NCBA has given us by by having a national award winner here and here in florida it gives us a huge opportunity to tell our story and it is a big opportunity jim to to share that story and uh, uh clay as you had mentioned it, it, it's so important just on a, on a policy standpoint and especially when there's so many unknowns with just how uh, national policy may impact the future of the cattle business why is it critical to have beef producers on the front lines, in your opinion, telling their stories? Well, like Jim and I, nobody understands uh, beef production and the environment better than us as beef producers. Um, we're the experts. We do it every day. Um, I learned from my dad. Jim learned from his partner and the different people um, that do this. They trust cattle, men, and women. Um, I've got daughters that are involved in, in the production that have learned from me. I learned from my dad. So nobody wants to tell their story more than us. Um, we love to share it. And who better than to do it uh, than Jim and I uh, or the people that do this every single day of the week? Um, our peers want to hear it. The consumers want to hear us telling our story each day. And Jim, a lot of people may say that that are in the industry, well, I, I don't need to tell my story. I, I'm a small producer. I, I really don't have a, you know much of a story to tell in, in this conversation, whether they're in Florida or in the Northeast or the Northwest. Uh, would you agree with that statement? No. Let's, let's just put it right out there. I don't care how big you are. Whether you own 10 cows, 20 cows, or 2,000 head of cattle, whether you're a feedlot or whether you're a grazing operation, whether you're a cow-calf operation or, or a seed stock, you, we have to tell our story. I'll bring it back local because, you know, everything kind of revolves back around local in the, in the state of Florida, which is what I'm familiar with. We're about uh, 2% of the voting population which means there's about 98% of the voting population that is not agrarian, is not in agriculture. They don't know what we do. So 98% of the people are going to 
contribute to PACs, by the way, NCBA PAC. I'm a past chairman of that. I'm a big believer in NCBA politics and PAC in the, Was in the Washington uh, office. But because of that, we have to continually work at educating these folks because for the most part, I think we'll agree that cattle industry operates on a slim margin of profit. So we have to kind of put out that information. A lot of people think that we're, you know, because you own five or 10 or 20,000 acres that, that you're awash with money. We all know what happens. It's our 401k, it's our children's college funds, it's our retirement funds. We're taking care of our parents all off that little pot of money we call cattle income. So we have to educate them, but more importantly than that, we have to educate them on what we do for greater society on these green spaces. And in Florida, you know, this ranch right here is not unlike a lot of ranches of the well-run ranches across the state of Florida that we provide carbon sequestration here on the ranch. We provide oxygen, turning carbon dioxide into oxygen on the ranch. We provide endangered species habitat on the ranch, wildlife corridors on the ranch because we're fast growing into an urban population that our ranches provide water filtration systems. We provide water storage systems. Can we just keep right on going down the road? The problem is we have to identify all of those things. We have to quantify what we're doing for the greater population, whether it's Florida or Montana, is what is that green space doing to help that population that actually make the decisions on what goes on in their respective states? Yeah, get out there and tell your story. And Jim, with that, a lot of folks that I uh, communicate with or just fellow producers, they get a little, you know, uh, hesitant sometimes. To, maybe they're hesitant in wanting the opportunity to engage with folks within conservation communities or even environmental communities. And I'm not saying environmentalists, just those that have environmental concerns. But you've engaged with a lot of these folks. Could you maybe share some examples of how being out here on your operation has changed their perceptions of livestock production and, and the role that you just explained within the environment? Oh, great question. I mean, it is a great question because every opportunity we have to interact with a non-agricultural person is, is a opportunity. So whether it's school children, whether it's a young leadership group, whether it's the local politicians, we just held a county commission meeting uh, here on the ranch because we have an open air, uh, big open air barn. They asked, can we come there because of COVID? We had an opportunity to educate the, the county commission. Uh, upcoming, we'll have three congressmen uh, here. We have that opportunity to, to show them what we are doing, but we start, because we're, agriculturalists we understand about planting seeds they may plant wheat in Oklahoma but we may plant ashenominy or some tropical forage down here but you plant seeds so if we can continue as ranchers and agriculturalists to plant those seeds every opportunity we have those seeds will grow we're generational so the same ones that we explain these opportunities for them to interact with us grab them because if it's a school kid before you know it they're a high school and before you know it they're parents and they're teaching their children wouldn't it be nice if at some time they go go by clay's ranch or they go by blackbeards or strickland ranch somewhere and that parent stops with a with a carload of kids and explains to them this ranch does this not only raises beef 
not only pays taxes, not only employs people, but we also sequester carbon. That conversation is coming. And I think we need to embrace it and be aware of it and educate ourselves. Or we provide oxygen. We provide green space. We provide that habitat. We provide water filtration to where soon those people from the urban area, because we planted those seeds along the way, um, it resonates with them. And Clay mentioned something, and this is really true. If you look at the folks that the population trust, it comes back to agriculturalists. They're at the top of the list. At the very top of the list is what the Clay Bertrams of the world do, um, and they trust them. So if you can take that believability, that honesty, and couple that with science, and I'm a big believer in science and data and research, and you can partner with science and data, so your local universities, with NRCS, are we going to be looking at different programs? Are we going to be looking at different funding streams down the future? I think so. I think that soon we're going to be trying to convince the NRCS, the farm bills, the, you know, all of those federal programs and local programs to invest money in those things that all of us ranchers do on the land to identify them and explain that to the greater population. Yeah, and let me build on that a little bit, is when you look at the ag producer in the population, I work for Farm Data Services, accounting company that my dad and I owned for the last 40 years, is us ag producers need to learn from each other. We need to educate the urban population, as Jim mentioned, but we also need to educate our other ag producers about what we do, what programs are out there. We don't need people in Washington, D.C. telling us what to do. They need to listen to us and ask us, what do we need to do to help you? What programs are you already doing that we can build upon? How can we help you? What can we do to what what programs are you already doing that will help you invest? You look at the uh, these conservation programs that we're doing, CSP, EQIP, those different programs and management practices that we're doing. What programs can we build around you? And it takes ag producers like Jim and I around those tables, listening and learning from other producers, and then we can educate the population about what we're doing and how to invest in those programs. Well, and, I, and I, I'm glad you brought that up because I looked in Montana, the Nile Stock Show and Rodeo, the Northern International Livestock Show held in Billings, Montana, every yeah They held it during COVID, but uh, they weren't able to have the fourth grade um, ag days where these fourth graders come from all over the state of Montana. And it may be the only opportunity these youth get to learn about farming and ranching, and they love it. And... I look at that where they can make some tweaks possibly talking more about the environment and farmers and ranchers roles. But I look at agriculture education and FFA. I know there's some teachers out there that have environmental science classes within the ag ed program. And I'm not trying to dictate what a state or a teacher should teach. I'm just trying to look at this a little bit differently in how uh, we approach sustainability and science and statistics and studies that go along with this so we can stay in business. And I, I just think that education piece is so important because, uh, you know, whether we attend a, 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 a workshop learning how we can be more successful on our operations, the environment and sustainability have to be a part of that because we don't want the government dictating what that is. Clay, I'm glad you brought that up. On the uh, the federation end of things, Clay, how does sustainability fit within your goal of building beef demand as well? 
We know that there are important conversations occurring about the impact of cattle, uh, beef consumption around the environment, and the Federation of State Beef Councils can help to ensure that those conversations are based on factual information so when companies and consumers make beef purchasing decisions, they're making them for the right reasons, um, not because of pressure from groups or individuals uh, who might have ulterior motives or not our best interests in mind. And so that's why we couple with our state beef councils and put those dollars around great programs uh, and areas that are based on research, nutrition, and the areas of focus uh, around our state beef council dollars coupled with the federation around those important areas um, that, are, that have the consumer's best interest. Jim, for yourself, I know obviously you have branded protein products that are produced here on the ranch. And when you look at consumers' knowledge uh, of protein, of your product itself, how important are the resources that the checkoff provides producers when it comes to you reaching out to consumers, having the nutritional studies, and just having that uh, that uh, years of uh, backing that the, that the checkoff brings to your product and to promotion irreplaceable absolutely irreplaceable there's nothing out out there that's going to help these beef producers like the checkoff and and like what the organization does i mean it has been factually studied it's been analyzed quantified that every dollar you know we can do, go through that whole spiel of every dollar invested returns x uh which is more than that dollar by far so it's irreplaceable. We're in the protein business. We're also in the sustainability business. So besides protein, so many of these ranches do a lot of other things, you know, on those ranches. But uh, uh, the checkoff with a huge success, uh, accolades to everybody in this room was what you did with NASCAR a couple weeks ago. Uh, there's a little town called uh, Daytona Beach, and it's got a little racetrack. Um, uh, what happened there, the exposure that, uh, that beef got, um, was absolutely phenomenal. I mean, to be on that stage and, and see beef promoted, uh, you know, see my own, uh, friend, uh, Flint Johns going, gentlemen, start your engine at a NASCAR race was just great. It's that thinking outside the box that we really love. Uh, with the with the professionals that run and manage that beef beef checkoff money, that they weren't down there just having fun. It looked like fun, but I can tell you the exposure that we got, especially in a state, Florida, that's 22 million. But then it went nationwide. That every state just benefited uh, by that. So yeah, irreplaceable. And Clay, I don't want to put you on the spot, but were there any updated figures? I know you said there was some like, was it 35 bill or billion or million or, or impressions at one point there? That was right after the race. Again, I'm, I'm, I know I'm not getting those numbers right, but uh, off the top of your head, do you know what those impressions were? Yeah, you hit it. <clears throat> you hit it on it, Dan. About 35.6 million, imp million impressions, um, and we're still Digital. having an digital impressions, social media, um, you know, uh, and Jim mentioned the dollar beef checkoff, and that's an $11.91 return. Um, you know, if we could get that same investment in the stock market today, we'd, we'd keep rolling that over, rolling that dollar. We'd all be investing, um, you know, millions of dollars. And that's the way you have to look at these individual programs when we invest that dollar beef checkoff uh, and, in different programs. And it's a partnership uh 
it's a partnership for Jim and I as individual beef producers, and that's the way each one of us have to look at it. Uh, is is these are investments in the future? It's the future of our ranch. It's the future of your kids' ranch, your grandchildren's, your great grandchildren's in the future of this great beef industry that we all love and are proud to to serve each and every day. Well, as we look at this politically charged climate that we live in, climate is, is a big discussion uh, in, in the current situation in Washington, D.C., and there's a lot of uncertainty with how that is going to be rolled out over the next two and four years. Uh, how important and critical is it for cattle producers to tell their story to consumers, and how do you think that conversation is likely to change as we look ahead, Jim? Um, I know we've talked about bringing people out here talking about this, but when it comes to elected officials starting to make decisions on what they may or may not vote on when it comes to these climate discussions, why do producers need to start telling their climate story? Because we're the ones that are going to really be the answer down the road. Uh, I truly believe that these ranches are going to be the answer. In fact, I'm uh, on several different committees, but one of them here in the state of Florida, I'm vice chairman, excuse me, co-chairman with Lynetta Griner, one of, uh, one of our business partners too up in North Florida, of the Climate Smart Group at University, based at University of Florida. So we have the opportunities through IFAS, University of Florida, Dr. Scott Angle, to have a lot of professors that work with all the commodity groups, not just ranchers and timber people. We work with the horticulturalists, the sod people. We work with the citrus people. We work with all of them. And here's, I think, where we are. We're at the brink right now. We've, we've just elected uh, the Biden-Harris group. Uh, they have some philosophies. They've already started work towards this climate. Uh, we'll call it the climate issue. But living in Florida, we're surrounded by water. We have sea level rise issues. We have salts per billion, salts, salts per million intruding inland. We have a growth pattern here that we're going to have to balance the growth. And we're not anti-growth. Uh, I'm not anti-growth, but we have to recognize that every single house in the state of Florida, besides perhaps some barrier islands, used to be cattle ranches. Every house sits on what used to be a cattle ranch. That in itself ought to tell you something, that if we're going to keep our sustainability up, we need to keep profitability up. If we're going to meet that definition of sustainability, which is we're going to encourage the environmental aspects and keep where we are, if not make it better, and save it for future generations, it has to be profitable. That's where, whether it's NCBA or FCA, Florida Cattlemen's Association, we have to be involved. We started a nonprofit uh, made up of scientists and ranchers called Florida Conservation Group to lobby for those funding mechanisms that are going to help us deal with the growth patterns, climate patterns that are happening in the state of Florida. Our governor just recently had a billion dollars he put in the budget for looking at climate change, particularly sea level rise on the coastal communities of Florida. We need to be part of that discussion and we need to sit at the table. Whether you're in Nebraska or Idaho or California or Maine or Florida, you need to be sitting at the table to be part of that solution because we know something's happening. I'm not the guy with tinfoil on my cowboy hat running out in the middle of the day screaming, you know, we're going to burn up. What I'm looking at is data and scientific evidence that is telling us things are happening 
I didn't know that much about polar vortexes uh, two years ago. Now I do. So it lends itself for opportunities, NRCS, USDA, Farm Bill funding, that we need to be part of that answer. Well, I, I like that you brought up that part that you didn't know about uh, polar vortexes. How important is it for producers to maybe understand what other cattlemen and women are going through in different parts of the nation? Up where I'm at, black vultures aren't an issue for me. But in other parts of the nation, they are. And I, I know we get a little maybe too concentrated on what's impacting our ranch, you know, in, in our home community. But what, what impacts you down here still has an impact on me in Montana, if it's going to be uh, a regulation, especially on the federal level. Why do we need to learn what's going on in our different parts of the cattle business and our regions? Because of Washington, D.C. Uh, Washington, D.C. is the one that ultimately makes the decisions for the nation. If I don't understand what's happening in Oklahoma, and I'm using Oklahoma several times here, but if we don't understand what's happening in Oklahoma, how can we talk to our many congressmen and women that are here in the state of Florida to encourage them to go with something that's happening in Washington, D.C. with legislative issues that is going to help California? ranchers in, in Oklahoma. So we all need to work together. Uh, there's some states that we have a lot of votes in Washington, D.C. And keep in mind, we're still back to, in Florida, about 2% of the population or less of agriculturalists. But if we can have that impact, if we can build that local relationships as ranchers with our congressmen and women, uh, it is great. Uh, last week, I had a call with Senator Rubio, uh, Marco Rubio's office. And I will tell you, they reached out to, reached out to us um, because of the Climate Smart Solutions Group and the Florida Conservation Group that, that I am vice chairman of. Uh, Senator Rubio's office reached out to us to have that discussion, to explain to them our thoughts on some of the bills that are running through Congress right now. It kind of meant a lot to us. Um, whenever a congressman or a woman, uh, Kathy Castor, sits, uh, was appointed in, uh, to a climate change committee, and she reached out to us. So we've hosted her on the ranches. We're looking at three congressmen coming here in the next few weeks. Those are the kind of things that all of us, every single rancher, needs to be doing. And Jim talked about the policy side, but when you look at this from the checkoff side, we all pay into that checkoff. If, if Jim doesn't know what's going on, uh, you mentioned the polar vortex that we had literally back behind the race when I went home, negative 20 and 30 degrees. That backs those cattle up in what I call feedlot country that's right in the central part of where I live. Um, you know, that affects the checkoff. That affects the dollars. And if we don't know what's going on in corn country in the central part of the U.S. and those, you know, those different areas of the country, we're all in the beef, what I call the beef business. Um, and that we don't know what's going on with our consumers and our high population, low cattle area. Uh, you know, if we get centralized and just focus on what's going on in Florida or what's going on in California or, or the small states, of, you know, the small regions of the area, then we get too central-minded. But if we keep our area wide and we know and we focus on and look at what's going on in the different areas of, of the country, then we're all in the, what I call the beef business and we have a broad area and Jim and I can talk and we know what's, what's going on really in this cattle business business now clay maybe obviously we have to have an end user we have to have that consumer um could you maybe talk about consumers perception of beef sustainability and uh do you think it's impacting their 
purchasing decision at the end of the day. You know, about five years ago or so, this was a, 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 the buzzword. It was the new word, but it's been around for so long. Um, you know, and, and if we don't keep defining this term, somebody is going to define it for us. Um, and that's why us in this business, uh, Jim and I and many, many producers have been doing this for so long. And uh, we have to can keep putting this in front of our consumer of what sustainability is and what we do in our business. So we have to keep telling our producers in this industry of what it is. We have to keep telling Washington, D.C. what it is and what we do on a day-to-day -day basis from rotational grazing to using the smaller frame cow. What works in our business? Because what works on Jim's business at this ranch may not work at my ranch. And that's why you have to study and look at different business models and see what works at your ranch to be sustainable. And you know, Jim, uh, this was actually my first flight that I've had in almost 13 months. And uh, I always have the opportunity to engage with folks on airplanes if they engage with me first. I wear a cowboy hat a lot. They, they kind of they either say, well, you're a rodeo cowboy or maybe you're a rancher and whatnot. But it's a great way to just share a perspective with, with a consumer because they may have some preconceived notions about the industry. Uh, they may have been misinformed by people on mainstream media or TV that uh, want them to believe that uh, beef consumption is bad for them. But uh, I always take an opportunity to help them maybe find a local producer where they can purchase meat from. Or Because um, yesterday, uh, the, the people, I will not say their names, but uh, they were both celebrities that I had the opportunity to meet in the Delta Sky Lounge in Salt Lake City. And they were asking me where, where some good places or who they would recommend to purchase some beef from. So I'm going to email them names of friends that I have that are direct consumer type businesses. But it was a way for me to share not necessarily my story face to face with them, but to at least share someone else's or, or just, you know, give them a different aspect of the cattle business for them to look at. Um, what impact does it have when a cattle producer can share that story face to face, whether that's on an airplane or in town at the farmer's market or here on your ranch? Why do we need to have that face-to-face -face or have someone be face-to-face -face with these consumers? I used irreplaceable whenever we talked about the checkoff. I'll use it one more time. I promise not to use it a third time. It's irreplaceable. So whether it's, so whether it's that individual interaction or whether it's your children interacting with other children or your father and mother interacting at church with the group, I think that putting that face on where your product comes from, to hear that story of how you take care of that product, uh, where everybody here is BQA certified. Uh, we have BMPs, best management practices uh, here uh, that are implemented by Commissioner of Agriculture. Every one of our ranches is BMP certified. We, have, we keep records of our fertilizer. We do those things to where when we start telling that story as individuals, we can also trickle that story up whether it's your local cattlemen's association in your county or your region to your state to the national level. Uh, the story resounds on all those levels, and you have to tell that story. And, Jim, I'm sure people come up to you and say, well, you caused the algae blooms. You and other farmers and ranchers caused the algae blooms. And that's how I, I mentioned that earlier. H how do you have that dialogue? That is, you know, here in the state, of course, we've had uh, – we have a lot of history of things happening in nature. We live in a subtropical area, which means 
a lot of people come to our state. A lot of invasive species come to our state. I don't know if you watch TV or not, but look at the pythons and look at the pythons in the Everglades. Uh, look at Kogan's grass. Look at tropical soda apple. It comes to our state. So we have in our state 22 million people that live here, and we know how many ranchers are here. So when we start hearing about algae blooms in Lake Okeechobee, which is the pot of which water goes to, for the most part, from Disney World. I don't know if anybody's heard of Disney World here in Florida. I know it. There you go. We have Disney World, Sea World, all of those worlds up in the Orlando area. That is the beginning, the northern tier of what we call the northern Everglades. Everything from there flows south through all the septic tanks, through all of the golf courses, all of the residential impermeable surfaces called asphalt, all of the fertilizers that are put on much heavier than what Clay and I put on our ranches, that all of that permeates and flows through the northern Everglades into Lake Okeechobee, and that is the home of blue-green algae, algae, algae blooms. Don't lay it on us. If you look at the land mass between Orlando and the northern Everglades, and you look at that, and once you have looked at what is green and what isn't green, and then you decide what would you like to have more of if you were going to perhaps start limiting these things, it's ranches. And in the state of Florida, it's either a cattle ranch, timberland, or something worse. It's not something better. Tell me what's going to be better for the environment to have, a, to have a stocking rate of one cow per 10 or 15, 20, 30 acres, or are you going to have three houses per acre? What is going to be better? So when that, when that runoff goes into Okeechobee, it feeds, it has a bloom, it outflows St. Lucie going towards the Atlantic, Caloosahatchee River going to the Gulf. That does not cause red tide because red tide is a naturally occurring organism that's been happening since the first explorers at Florida, but it feeds the red tide. It makes the red tide worse. If you've ever seen thousands of dead fish on the, on the coast of Florida, you'll never forget it. But looking back, it's up to us because we're the easiest ones to point the finger at because we're the majority of the land mass. Guess what's going to help us? Science, data, research and quantify it. Quantify what we do and what other folks do. Uh, we're in this together. Agriculture is going to be one of, one of the answers uh, going forward. And why, from your own experiences, why is it important to be at a table with someone that you don't agree with? With some, Maybe it's an environmental group that could be um, trying to blame everything on you. Why, why do you sit at the table personally? trying to be a voice for farmers and ranchers here in Florida? Well, I'm, I'm simply one of many. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm truly simply one of many. I mean, we have a great group of ranchers in Florida, and we have a great group of ranchers in the nation. We need to continually tell that story. We have to be at the table. You know, long ago they said, you know, you need to go to town and, and uh, tell the story. Well, back then, 25 years ago, when we went to town, the environmental communities were not exactly on our side at all the times, and we had those arguments. Guess what? They're on our side now. They want to hear our stories because we're in this same boat together. They're looking at, we talk about climate change. They probably are more cognizant of it, perhaps, than us 
on an intellectual level. Clay and I experience it every single day. We experience climate change when we get up in the morning. If it's 20 degrees below zero in, in his community because of a polar vortex, or I just had four hurricanes that came across the state of Florida, we are acutely aware of climate change. The rest of them are looking at it as what's going to happen to us in the future. So we need to be at that proverbial table. And if we're not at that table, we might be on the menu. And, and if we might not have a lot to say, maybe we just need the, to be there to listen. Well, and to listen and to be able to share what these other groups, maybe what their goals and agendas are and relay that back to, to your fellow producers is, is, is so important. It's, it's good to know what people are up to. I think that's, that's one of the main things. But, you know, you mentioned research, uh, Jim. Uh, Clay, why is continuous research in science important to help tell the story of beef in a sustainable food system? Well, I mean, the science of sustainability is still relatively new. Uh, and there's ways that we need to account for it. Because of that, it's constantly improving. It's changing as it happens. We need to have accurate current information about the investments made by this industry. And that's where the checkoff comes in. We're making continuous investments in what we're doing. Research is one of the pillars, along with nutrition and promotion of what we do each day. You know, I mentioned it before and I'll mention it again. That dollar beef checkoff re re returns $11.91 um, to our pocket uh, of, what we're, of, of what we're doing. Um, we have to better reassure the consumers and companies who are producing beef that we feel good about those purchases and the fact that we'll remain on the path of continuous improvement about what we're doing each day. Um, those, are, those are pillars of what we do um, each day on our ranches and what we're doing. But the bottom line is that we have to show that consumer that that product they're purchasing was produced in a sustainable way with the confidence that they have to produce it and purchase it. And Jim, as we look out uh, across uh, your pastures here and we, we see these, you know, d different types of forages and trees and whatnot and the sounds of, uh, of kind of the, can we call this swamp kind of behind us here? Yes, wow. you can. <laughs> but it's kind of, it's prairie and swamp. Yeah, and, and dry prairie is a great segue into dry prairie. Uh, a lot of people don't understand what dry prairie is, but uh, it is one of the uh, ecosystems that is being greatly diminished, uh, and uh, so much of it is in Florida, and it's very important to different species. Talking about partnering, um, look at Audubon, or look at uh, Nature Conservancy, or look at all these different ones, where here in Florida we have... Uh, one of the most endangered species of bird called the grasshopper sparrow in uh, continental North America here in Florida. So that type of area, so whether it's a swamp, whether it's a marsh, whether it's a slough, whether it's a hardwood hammock or dry prairie or wet prairie, uh, we need all those. But we need to be able to describe what those do for those folks, when we talk about sustainability, it comes back to profitability. And I think one of the words that, that we're going to start hearing more and more of, of which we're working uh, all the time around the clock, is ecosystem services. Here in Florida, we would love to have, and we've started down that pathway, of being able to quantify what these ranchers do for society and and be able to educate, explain to that greater population how much is carbon sequestration worth. That's coming down the road, and we're working here. We, uh, we have two projects 
that we're working uh, here on the ranch and we're using probiotics on on our land and we've got a we've got a national group that's going to be studying how much how much carbon is sequestered in hydric or muck soils as opposed to sandy soils using these probiotics how we can accelerate the carbon sequestration because someday it's very confusing right now by the way it is very confusing is the carbon market documentation how you're going to get paid but i do believe in the future that's one of the things that is going to be an ecosystem services but also let's not forget about oxygen let's not forget about water water quality filtration all those things that our ranches do wildlife habitat endangered species those are the things that we are working at all the time to come up with facts and figures with scientists and data and research to show what our ranches are worth. Gentlemen, I know it's going to be a busy day here on the ranch, but uh, Clay, anything that you would like to just add more on from maybe your own operation or from the Federation standpoint of, of this uh, sustainability conversation? Well, I mean, we have to be at the table as we've been sitting here and discussing this to tell that story. Uh, we don't need the government telling us what to do, uh, and we have to continuously be at that table to be involved, invested in the programs, to participate in the programs, to make sure our other producers, we can't just sit there and be silent. We have to participate, show the needs for these programs. From the Federation standpoint, we have to continue to invest in those dollars with our State Beef Council partners, show that these dollars work, show the programs work. Number one, we have to show our consumers of why we're investing into these programs, of, of the different reasons to do it. Um, my final statement is whether you're a feedlot producer, a stalker producer, a cow-calf producer, if you're in the seed stock business, it doesn't matter. At the bottom line, we are all consumers of the greatest, most wholesome, nutritious product that we produce, and that is beef. And we'll continue to be that number one protein producer. Jim, any last words or maybe where folks can learn more about uh, Blackbeard's Ranch? Well said, Clay. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feed off Clay right now. He's talking about the product we produce. I'm going to talk about the land we produce it on. Whenever we can provide all those services, at the same time we're producing that great beef product, uh, talk about a story. What a story. I mean, whether it's multi-generation or the first generation that comes down the pike, but we talk about 3032. Uh, you talk about 3030, it scares a lot of people. Here in the state of Florida, we have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of acres of people that own ranch land that said, I want a conservation easement. Some of it's federal money, some of it's state money, some of it's local money, some of it's water management money. Essentially, if you're not familiar with a conservation easement, it is, I want to sell my development rights. I'm going to keep that land into perpetuity. I am going to pay taxes on that land into perpetuity. We're going to manage that land for the betterment of the greater society by providing all those eco ecosystem services we talked about. So Clay talks about that great beef product. I'm going to talk about the dirt, the land, the ecosystem services that we provide while we're providing that great beef product. Blackbeard's Ranch, blackbeardsranch.com. We've got pork. We've got honey. We've got beef. Um, we're just proud to be uh, affiliated with NCBA. I'm proud uh, and honored uh, to have been the ESAP award winner in 2019. Uh, I would encourage anybody out there to work through your organizations. It's a huge opportunity, but be prepared. 
to set at that table if you're an ESAP award winner in your region or a national. Be prepared to sit at that table and be a leader in this new movement that uh, we're starting with the environmental community. Well, gentlemen, again, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Clay Bertram and Jim Strickland, uh, one from Oklahoma, one from Florida, and, of course, myself from Montana, happy to be down here in uh, the state of Florida here today and excited to go out and see the ranch and uh, continue just to advocate for the cattlemen and women out there. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for uh, tuning in here on the Cattlemen's Call podcast. Uh, gentlemen, thanks for joining us here today. Thank you. Thank you. All right, friends, that will do it for this podcast conversation. Thanks for answering the Cattleman's Call. I'm Lane Northland. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with Lane Northland. For more information, visit ncba.org and make sure to subscribe to the podcast today.